0: Uh, when Ryan left, he asked me to go ahead and continue where he left off in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 15. So we're going to do that tonight. But before we get started, I was just thinking tonight how awesome it is that we can come and gather tonight. When I came here tonight, I knew I was going to teach, and it's always a little nerve-wracking when we don't do this very often. When We get a chance to do it, that we get to speak for the Lord, and, and we get to teach. And, and it's exciting that we're afforded an opportunity to do that. But more than that, I was thinking that a lot of us here came here tonight with problems or with boredom during the week or things going on in our lives and how awesome it is that God remembers us, that today he had this day planned for each one of us, that when he reminds us in Scripture that to partake of communion often to remember him, he does that so we can have our spirits lifted up in remembering what he did for us. And it's just it's just every time I come to communion, I just... I want to cry because God has changed my life so much. And I know he's done that for each one of you. And it's just exciting that we get to come and gather. And we have a church that has so much going on. I mean, the list of announcements went on for a while. But that's good because there's a lot of things going on, a lot of things to get involved in. And there's a lot of people in here that are in love with Jesus. And there's so many new faces. I mean, it's amazing to me that every Wednesday there's new people. here. Sunday, we're getting more and more people. And that's because we're a God-loving church, a Jesus-seeking church. We heard uh, a story tonight of a man that just gave his life to Christ not too long ago when he's here tonight. And, and, And that happened last week, too. And it's just so moving that, that we as elders are, are so blessed to, to hear what's going on behind the scenes and, and to get involved with some of the things that you all don't get to. But it's, it's, you know we want to share that with you, that this church is just amazing right now. And Ryan's leaving, but we have Rory coming in, and we're just excited, and I know you guys are too, to, to see what's next. I mean, where is Jesus taking us next? We're at a level now that's amazing what's, what's coming after. You know, and, and I'm just looking forward to that. I know you are too. As we've been going through Second Samuel, uh, in chapters one through 10, we saw the rise of David to his power. And then in chapters 11 and to 12, we learned of David's downfall when he fell into sin. And as we continue to go through Second Samuel, now in chapters 13 through 20, we continue to see David's troubles. David, a man after God's own heart, a mighty man of valor, who was a young boy, killed the Philistine giant when no one else would face him because of their fear of his size and his veracity. David was able to slay Goliath, not because he was a great warrior, but because he knew God was on his side. In 1 Samuel 16:13, it says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. David stepped out in faith to be used by the Lord when the armies of Israel were too afraid. His faith in the Lord was his strength and his assurance that he would be delivered from the hands of the Philistine. So where do we draw our strength from? Is it from the Lord or is it from our own two hands? You see, the giants we face today have changed. But they're just as big, and they're just as fearsome as they were to David and to the armies of Israel. And we look at the strength and convictions of David. And when we do that, we must also look at his humanity. He was born a sinner, just the same as you and I. And he faced temptation and the weaknesses of man, the same as you and I. Our sin can influence us slowly over time, or it can come in swiftly. And destroy us before we ever know what happened. David had gone from an eager holy warrior to a king that stayed at the palace while others went out and fought the battles. He had a wandering eye that led him to become an adulterer. He went from one that protected Saul's life to the man who plotted against Uriah to have him murdered. Where he once attracted thousands of followers, now he lost thousands. David had allowed sin to enter his life without thinking of the consequences. And when Joab was sent to battle the Ammonites, he decided to stay home. Instead of being a leader to his armies, he stayed behind with too much time on his hands. And his wandering eyes spotted Bathsheba. Sin can be so subtle in the way it enters our lives. It can sneak up on you, and before you realize just how deep in sin you are, the damage has already been done. I hear people say how much they struggle with temptation and things that that tug at them through their flesh, through their lusts. But usually along with that, I also hear, but I have all this time on my hands. When I hear that, I think, man, that's a no-brainer. Too much time on your hands, what else? What an awesome opportunity for temptation to come in and take over. Some of us knowingly jump into sin with both feet knowing there will be a price to pay. But make no mistake, our sins will come to light somehow, some way. And I was just reminded of that tonight before we came down here. I was watching the news. And I don't know if you heard about the governor in South Carolina, I believe it was. They went missing for a few days. Everybody was worried about him. And when he got back, he was in Argentina instead of hiking with another woman besides his wife. Sin will find us out. And too much time on our hands. You know, we have a choice of what we do with the time on our hands. I was talking with my wife about the time when I had back surgery back in 2005. And I'd, I'd never had surgery before. And it put me down for six months. So for six months, I didn't get out of the house much. I didn't walk much. I know Judy or Julie has gone through much of the same thing that I did. And it's excruciating pain. And you can sit and you can whine and you can complain or you can use the time that God's given you for positive things so many of us even now as we go through the time of, of financial difficulties with no jobs or or bills that we can't pay and just no work it's not that we don't want to work it's that there is no work but look at the time God's given us my old pastor told me one time Frank don't look at it that way Look at it as a blessing. And I thought, how can you look at it as a blessing if you're not working? He says, because if you're not working, you're getting the time that God's given you to spend with your family or with your wife or step out and do things for the church that you've never been able to do. So what we do, it's our choice. When I was off, I had the choice of becoming cynical and, and, and just complaining all the time. But instead, I, I took that time and gained 30 pounds. Laughter Can you picture me at 195 pounds? Yeah. But, uh, you know, that that time is is so precious. And we've got to look at it as a blessing from God. I took that time. When I came to the Lord, I knew that God had something for me. And we talk about our gifts and why God brings us to where he does. Some of us have to go to great lengths to, to finally see that we need the Lord. In that time... I used to get up at 3 in the morning, and don't ask me why, but every night I'd get up at 3 in the morning and I'd pray. And I got to have a relationship with the Lord that I never had before. And it was during that time that God revealed himself to me and said, Frank, you're going to be in the ministry. Somehow I knew that, 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 that it was God. I, there's more to it, and I'll share it with you individually. It, it's, it's hard for me to talk about. Because sometimes it sounds like I'm showboating, but it was all God, believe me. And, and it's that kind of commitment we have to have to the Lord's uh, will for us. It's, it's that time that we have to redeem that he gives us. So if you're fretting tonight about what's going to happen tomorrow, what's God bringing us? God's going to bring what God's going to bring. We have to remember that he's in control of our lives, and we need to look at the blessings he's giving us today. Our God is a loving and gracious God, but he is also a righteous and holy God. We may be able to hide our sins from man, but God sees everything. He sees our very heart. God loves us so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to pay a debt that we couldn't pay. He saved us from the righteous wrath of God. That true repentance and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, we would not perish but have everlasting life. And I'm probably like any of you, you hear it a thousand times, but every time I hear it, it just sends shivers down my spine. God loves us so much. David confesses and repents of his sins, but the results of his actions remained. Back back in chapter 12, verse 13, Nathan told David that the Lord had put away his sin, and he would not die, but the child that he and Bathsheba had fathered would die. If we go back a little further in chapter 12 to verses 10 and 11, the Lord is telling David through the prophet Nathan, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house. And in verse 11, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. In chapter 13, we saw Tamar, David's daughter, raped by her half-brother Amnon. David knew what had happened, and it says he was very angry, but he did nothing about it. Absalom, David's other son, was dwelling on the fact that nothing had been done. So after two years, he acted on his hatred for Amnon, and he had him murdered. Then Absalom fled to Geshur and stayed there for three years. David longed to see Absalom, but would not send for him. So Joab devises a way to push David into reconciliation with Absalom. By using a wise woman in a parable, he makes David see that for the good of the family, sometimes ordinary laws have to be put aside. So he sends for Absalom to be brought back, but he will not see him. And he won't see him because he's confused. He's unwilling to punish Absalom, but he's also unwilling to forgive him. So on his return, Absalom lived in Jerusalem two more years before coming before the king. Remember, he had to set Joab's field on fire in order just to get Joab to come to his house and talk to him. Then he sent Joab to David with a message, either give me restoration or give me execution. So Absalom went before the king. He bowed before David, and David reached down and kissed him, which points us towards Absalom's restoration. Chapters 15 through the end of 19 19 deal with Absalom's rebellion. Last week, Ryan took us through verse 12 in chapter 15 where we saw Absalom's conspiracy and proclaiming himself as king. So tonight we're going to pick up in chapter 15, verse 13 and go to chapter 16, verse 14. We'll be looking at David's escape from Absalom and the people he met on the way. Now, as we go through this section of scripture, I want us to look at those that are around David, his friends and his enemies. How he addressed how, you, how unaddressed sin can affect those around us and the importance of being who we say we are. We've had, heard Ryan so many times stand up here and, and tell us the importance of being transparent and being a transparent church. And tonight we're going to see how that can affect even the king of Israel, a man after God's own heart, David. When we do not have complete repentance of sin, we cannot have reconciliation And restoration we see that our sins not only affect us but those whose lives we touch how many of us have gone for days months even years without addressing bitterness or anger that keeps us from forgiving or allowing ourselves to be forgiven you hear stories of families where where this sister didn't talk to that sister for years or this father didn't talk to this son for for years you know, and that's how embittered we can become and allow it to become sin and not allow God to to bless us with being able to forgive somebody or to to, to allow us to be forgiven. Some of us just can't get past the fact that God's forgiveness, we harbor that in our hearts and it stumbles us. Many of us through our walks with Christ, even those who have been walking with the Lord for a long time, we have to learn to forgive and to be forgiven. Christ tells us if we can't be forgiven, if we've been forgiven and can't forgive, how can we expect Jesus to forgive us? You know what I mean. So let's start with verse 13 tonight and, and get going from there. Verse 13 Chapter 15. Now, as a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. Now, if you remember, Absalom had been undermining the affections of the people for the king by telling them at the gate that there was no one to hear their claims. But if he were king, things would be different. He was also using his attractiveness and his personal charms to his advantage. Just as the people were being led to believe in Absalom, because of his looks and his charm, we as Christians need to be careful about what and why we follow after things. Is it the package or is it the content that is drawing us in? In today's society, we're constantly being bombarded with new faces, voices, ideas, books, you name it, about our faith. We need to look past the hype and look at the heart of what's being served up on our spiritual plate. The amount of information that is available is staggering. And unfortunately, Christians are like anybody else. We can be led by the flash or the fad. When I look at that, I look at some of the mega churches. And when I start speaking of this one church, I'm sure many of you are going to know who I'm talking about. It's a huge church in Texas. Thousands are seated there to listen to the pastor. And I've tried to listen to him with an open mind and an open heart, but all I hear is self-help. He's not pointing anybody to Christ. He throws in a few scriptures, but that's not the heart of Christ. Think of where we are compared to that mega church. We are so blessed, as I said earlier, because this church is a God-fearing, Jesus-loving, gospel-pointing church, and we are just... On fire. There are people in this church that that some of you may know and some of you may not know, but I get to see and and rub elbows with them that that they're just on fire for Christ. Get to know some of these people in our church and and just see what God's doing in this church. Don't be fooled by slick packaging. Some people I talk to say, well, I listen to that TV station that Ryan talks about, almost Christian TV station. And some of it isn't bad because there's good pastors on there. And I'm not saying that all the pastors are are bad, but they're confused. As David is confused, things come into our lives and we're affected by it. Just as Absalom was affecting the people, so can we be affected by the things around us. 2 Timothy 2.15 tells us, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Just because something looks good on the outside doesn't make it good on the inside. 2 Corinthians 11.14 also says, And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. So many people think, oh, the devil. You know, red and horns. Nah, How's he going to come at you? He's going to come at you as a good-looking, slick-packaged person. Verse 14. So David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us, and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, We are your servants, ready to do whatever my lord the king commands. Then the king went out with all his household after him. But the king left ten women, concubines, to keep the house. And the king went out with all the people after him and stopped at the outskirts. David decides to flee from Jerusalem rather than to take the chance of the city being destroyed. He was also aware of the lives of those around him that would be lost if he remained in the city. David's lack of action and all that had happened since the rape of Tamar had become the reason for so many problems in his family. But because of his sin that started with Bathsheba, David had lost the clarity of judgment. And our judgment can be clouded as well, either by not having true repentance in our heart or thinking we can fix it ourselves. If we go back to verse 15 where it says, We are your servants, ready to do whatever my Lord the King commands. What kind of servants are we? We claim to be servants of God. Do we follow after Jesus like we should? Or do we just talk the talk? You know, so many of us, well, I shouldn't say so many of us, but there are people that that will come to church on Sundays and Wednesdays and then you'll never see them again. You'll never hear from them. And they think they're doing what God wants them to do, to be in church. But remember, church is here. You're the church. We're the church. We need to be about our Father's business. We need to be involved and know that serving God is going to give us that clarity of mind that won't allow us to be clattered by sin, that it's going to give us a place to go and kneel before Jesus and ask Him for that clarity. He's going to point us to the, the things that are going to get us clear pictures of where we need to be for Him. Verse 18, Then all His servants passed before Him, and all the Cherethites, all the Pelethites, and all the Gittites, six hundred men, who had followed him from Gath passed before the king. Then the king said to Ittai the Gittite, Why are you also going with us? Return and remain with the king, for you are a foreigner, and also an exile from your own place. In fact you came only yesterday. Should I make you wander up and down with us today, since I go not since I go I know not where? Return and take your brethren back. Mercy and truth be with you. But Ittai answered the king, and said, As the Lord lives, and as my Lord the King lives, surely in whatever place my Lord the King shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. The Cherethites and the Pelethites were David's bodyguard, but the Gittites had just recently joined David, so he urged them to return home. See, the Gittites, they weren't Jews. They were Gentiles. And besides that fact, David was uncertain of what the outcome of his cause would be. But Ittai was determined to accompany the king regardless of the cost. So David rewards them by allowing them to go with them into exile. Why would you follow someone into exile? The person you were following would have to make such an impact on your life that you could do nothing but follow him. Why do we follow who we follow? During the transition that our church is going through, it has really made me look at Why I'm here? Why am I doing what I do? And I think, was it Ryan that made this church what it is? Is our church just a real comfortable church to attend with real nice people to hang out with? I hope you can answer this along with me, and the answer is no. We're here because we follow after the one true God. He has blessed us with a pastor that lives to preach the gospel. It is his mission in life to point people to Jesus. He has painted a picture of what living and being a missional church is, and in doing that, he continues to be obedient and a servant in leaving here and planting a church in Colorado. He's leaving behind a healthy church, a church that that the Lord led him to start, and he's leaving behind people that he loves. That's devotion. That's the kind of relationship I want to have with Jesus Christ. I want to follow and serve our king. And I'm humbled to belong to a church and call this church a body that lives for Christ. Verse 23, And all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people crossed over. The king himself also crossed over the brook Kidron, and all the people crossed over toward the way of the wilderness. David fled across the brook Kidron, east towards the Jordan Valley, to save his life. And almost a thousand years later, David's greater son would cross the same valley and pray in Gethsemane Gethsemane, on his way to give his life a ransom for many. There was Zadok also and all the Levites with him, bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God, and Abiathar went up until all the people had finished crossing from the city. Then the king said to Zadok, Carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. But if he says thus, I have no delight in you, here I am. Let him do to me as seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Return to the city in peace, and your two sons with you, Ahimaz your son and Jonathan the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait in the plains of the wilderness until the word comes from you to inform me. Therefore, Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark with God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, were intending to go into exile with David, but he sent them back. He did not want to use the ark like an insurance policy. He hoped that the Lord would allow him to return, and perhaps David realized that the rebellion that Absalom had started was due in part to his own sin. So he was willing to accept what God would have in store for him. We see that he also told Zadok and Abiathar that they would be of more help to him back in Jerusalem because of their positions. And as servants, we need to see where it is that we would best serve our king. So many of us, when we come to know the Lord, have these grand visions of being out in the front leading the charge and and being in charge of big groups of people. But God uses us where we are and he knows our heart. There is no difference between the pastor and the person that cleans this church other than his teaching. Both love God the same and God's using them both for his kingdom and his glory. So when you think of how can you serve God, remember, as the servant's said early in verse 15, where the king is, I want to be. I want to serve and be used in whatever capacity. We don't have to be pastors or teachers. We just have to love Jesus and, and know that whatever it is we're doing, we're doing with a whole heart and we're doing it for his glory. So David would go to the west bank of the Jordan River and wait for news about the rebellion. You don't need to turn there, but let me read Psalms chapter 3. And it's a psalm that David composed during this time. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. Lord, how they have increased who troubled me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, There is no help for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice and he heard me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. So David would go to the... Whoops. So you can see that David, without becoming bitter because of his exile, wasn't shaken. Instead, he accepts what the Lord has allowed and continues to trust in the Lord. We need to be unshakable, knowing God is in control. Now, more than ever, we see the need for God taking control of our lives, for us to give our lives to him. We can't turn to the left or the right now without something else going wrong or we see something happening you can't turn the TV on without hearing that Korea might be launching a nuclear missile towards the United States or that the things that are going on Iran in Iran could explode and who knows what's going to happen from there we've got troops in Iraq and in Afghanistan people are killing people over the God that they serve you know we have to truly believe that when we say we're believers and followers of Jesus, that we're showing the, the people around us, that we're showing the world that God is who he says. That we believe in our hearts with everything that we have, that God is God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's going to get us through all of this. Verse Verse 30. <clears throat> So David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went up and he had his covered and went barefoot and all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up weeping as they went up. Going barefoot and heads covered were a sign of mourning and there were plenty of reasons for weeping. God tells us that there's a time for laughter and a time for weeping. And yes, we see that David had reasons for weeping. And there's times for us to weep. But as I was saying before, God is an awesome God. And I think of the first funeral I went to, the first Mexican funeral I went to in Texas, when a relative of mine passed away when I was a kid. And I had never been to a funeral like this. It was Catholic, and it was huge, and there was so much wailing and crying. People were falling down and fainting. And, and I thought, wow, is this what it's like when everybody dies? You know, and, and it bothered me growing up. But as, as I came to know the Lord and read through God's word, we see that there's a time for weeping. But that time ends. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. How could we keep weeping knowing that we're going to be with God? As believers, we know that the weeping is only for a moment. And there's nothing wrong with weeping. If, if someone's weeping, weep with them. If they're rejoicing, rejoice with them. But just be aware that it's only for a, a season. Verse 31. Then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is, coming, is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O oh Lord, I pray... Turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Now it happened when David had come to the top of the mountain where he worshipped God. There was Hushai, the archite, coming to meet him with his robe torn and dust on his head. David said to him, If you go on with me, then you will become a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I was your father's servant previously, so I will now also be your servant. Then you may defeat the counsel of Ahithophel for me. And do you not have Zadok and Abiathar the priests with you there? Therefore, it will be that whatever you hear from the king's house, you shall tell to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Indeed, they have there with them their two sons, Ahimaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. And by them you shall send me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, went into the city. And Absalom came into Jerusalem. Remember, Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather and one of David's counselors who had sided with Absalom. So David prays his prayer, and it's answered in the next verse with the arrival of Hushai. When David sees his friend Hushai, he lets him know that having him there with him would just be one more person to care for. But if he were to return to Absalom, he could be of help to David. He could go back and be sort of a a double agent, pretending he wanted to serve Absalom, but instead he might be able to counter the advice of Ahithophel. Then he could also funnel information back through the priest's sons. So through 15 we've seen David leaving Jerusalem. We've seen that because of the sin that he was in, it had clouded his judgment, and now he had come to the point of having to leave Jerusalem or see it destroyed. We need to remember that when we have the opportunity to go before the Lord and ask for repentance, we have to go before him with a whole heart. We don't want to go before him and just do as as some religions do and just say a Hail Mary and ask for forgiveness and on your way. We have to kneel down broken before the Lord and ask him to forgive us of those things so that we can get back on track, so that we can see where we're headed and why we're going there, why we're in the position we're in. And, and we've seen that David has had to go and leave his city with all of his men, 600 of his men, and all his servants. So just keep that to heart, that when we go before the Lord as tonight, we uh, celebrated communion and when we do that, we take our sins before the Lord and those things that are bothering us and just ask Him to forgive us and to leave us of those sins that we can get back on the road and on track with Him. And now we'll start into chapter 16. And I want to throw in a disclaimer here. This name that I'm going to use through here a lot is one of the hardest names I've had to say. And every time I've said it, I don't know whether I'm dyslexic or what, but me- Mephibosheth is is awful hard to say, so bear with me. When David was a little past the top of the mountain, there was Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, who met with him a couple of who met with him with a couple of saddle donkeys, and on them two hundred loaves of bread, one hundred clusters of raisins, one hundred summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, "What do you mean to do with these?" So Zeba said, The donkeys are the king's household to ride on. The bread and the summer fruit are for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink. Then the king said, And where is your master's son? And Zeba said to the king, Indeed, he is staying in Jerusalem. For he said, Today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. So the king said to Zeba, Here, all that belongs to me." Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you that I may find favor in your sight, my lord, O king. If you remember, Mephibosheth was Saul's crippled grandson that David had taken into his care. And Ziba, the servant, sees an opportunity to make himself look good good in David's eyes. And he shows up with all these supplies and tells David it was all his idea to bring them up there. He also tells him that Mephibosheth sees David leaving as a good time to reclaim his kingdom. But David knows that some Benjamites still have animosity towards, towards him, so he may have had some questions in his mind still as to the loyalty of Mephibosheth. So David reacts hastily without hearing both sides of the story and gives all of Mephibosheth's possessions to Ziba. And how many times have we all done this? acted too quickly and paying for it later instead of seeking the Lord we just act out in our own strength I don't know about you but, but I can I don't have enough fingers and toes to count on that I can tell you seek the Lord you know pray about it you know we should pray about everything I mean I'm talking about buying a car I'm talking about everything that we do Now, I'm not saying we need to look at a washing machine and kneel down and say, God, I don't know if I should have this washing machine or not. But we know that whether we can afford it or not. And that's the thing that we need to take to the Lord. We need to wait on him and not be hasty on our decisions. I know like like me, some of you, maybe when you were younger, bought a car before you were ready. And then you had the payments to deal with. You had the down payment. But now you've got the payments. It's a nice car, but you can't afford it. And, and it's just things like that, the practical things that God says, in all things, pray, bring them to me. You know, there's nothing too small for us to pray to God. And we just see that David, king of Israel, a man after God's own heart and leader of a nation, himself reacts too quickly and makes a bad decision verse 5 Now when King David came to Baherim there was a man from the family of the house of Saul whose name was Shimei the son of Gera coming from there he came out cursing continuously as he came and he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left also Shimei said thus when he cursed come out come out you bloodthirsty man you rogue The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned, and the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom your son. So now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. Abishai was ready to lop off the head of Shimei for cursing the king. And cursing a ruler was forbidden in Mosaic law. And you can read about that if you go back into Exodus Look up uh, chapter 22, verse 28. But the king tells Abishai, no, because David sees things differently than Abishai. Sometimes it takes a shock or a person with quiet conviction to make us look at what is happening. You know, I, I, I can't help but think of Shimei coming out and throwing rocks at David he's got an army around him and this crazy man comes out cursing him and throwing rocks what did he expect you know and you can see this picture of all these people surrounding david so that the rocks can't even get to david but he can hear the cursing and david takes that cursing to heart and 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 it's going to lead us into the next chapter but but he takes it to heart knowing, again, that the sin that he started out with Bathsheba has led him through all these things and continues to rain all these problems down on his family, not only his family, but those people around him that we're seeing uh, be affected as they leave. And it's affecting people in ways that that he wasn't even aware, that, that there's people that are turning their backs on him. And in that same way, sin can affect us. We think that when we sin, that it's only going to do something to us and that we can ask for God's grace and His forgiveness and that's it. But that doesn't always happen to be the case. It's going to touch those people around us. And just like that governor, it's going to come out and it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt those people that that maybe you had no idea how they were going to be affected, but it's a trickle-down effect and we've seen it through this this whole section of passage or this whole section of Scripture that... What started out as a wandering eye, as too much time on his hands, has ended up in murder and betrayal and rebellion. And it's just going to continue, and we're going to continue to see that as we go into chapter 11. And David said to Abishai and all his servants, See how my son who came from my own body seeks my life. How much more now am I this Benjamite? Let him alone and let him curse for so the lord has ordered him it may be the lord that will look on my affliction and that the lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day and as david and his men went <coughs> along the road shimei went along the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went and cursed as he went threw stones at him and kicked up dust now the king and all the people who were there with him became weary So they refreshed themselves there. See, David was still wondering whether all that had happened was the Lord's punishment for his sins. So David just simply endures it. We also see David pointing out here that a member of Saul's household has more cause to want to take his life than his own son Absalom. David was also hoping that the Lord would see the hostility in Shimei and be moved to mercy for David and away from anger. And in closing, we see David and all the people with him arrive at the west bank of the Jordan River, taking a deserved rest after a 21-mile journey from, from Jerusalem. Repentance, reconciliation, and restoration. In reading about David fleeing from Absalom, we see how sin has not only affected his family, but also those around him. We have also seen pictures of obedience and sacrifice. Let us be a teachable people that learn from the mistakes and the victories that we read about in his word. Let's be like Ittite, who followed David regardless of the cost. Jesus knew the cost and paid it for us. Let us be followers of Christ and follow him into eternal life. And being blessed to be with him forever and ever. Would you stand and pray with me? God, you are such an awesome God, the one true and living God. And we are humbled to call ourselves your children, Lord. We know we don't deserve it, but you loved us and you saved us, God. You sent your son to give his life a ransom for so many. He took the sins of the world upon himself and saved each one of us, God. He had each one of us in mind. Lord, we thank you. God, we praise you. As we sang songs to you tonight, Lord God, we we just praise you. We worship you with our lives. Help us to continue to glean from your word, God. Help us to be Bereans that would look at your word and not just take it at face value, God. Help us to search your scriptures. Help us to know that the truth is the truth, God. Help us to be lights for you in this community and beyond. We thank you for the people that you've put in place in this church to teach us, God, that you've touched their lives in a way that they can't help but express what you're doing in theirs. We thank you for our pastor. We thank you for his family and all that he's done for us, God. As the time draws near, for his leaving, God. That we would rejoice in the fact that he's raised this church up to where you would have it, God. That we would go from here, Lord, to the next level, following our next pastor to point people to Jesus. And Jesus, we just thank you for loving us, for saving us, for transforming our hearts, God, for regenerating us, for making us lovers of truth and goodness, for helping us to to seek out what is right, God, for being lights for you. Continue to use us as your hands and your feet, Lord. Continue to use this church. We pray for your word, God, as it goes out to other churches in the area, Lord, and around the world tonight, Lord, that you would just be proclaimed as God. Jesus, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.